Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Back to our default format, which unfortunately is over Zoom, uh, but we're here on a Friday night. Team USA just won gold about an hour ago. Hello, Kevin. Go America. How's it going? Uh, going great. That was a lot of fun. I do not get emotionally invested in sports that much anymore just because I cover a lot of the teams that I used to root for. Uh, I get into the occasional Wildcats game, but most of those let me down. So it was fun to root for the team that you thought was going to win. And uh, I was yelling ew at my TV every time Gershon Yabusele shot a three. Just really, really getting into it. Um, We'll talk about that in a bit, Kev. We'll talk about Team USA a bit later, how uh, Devin Booker played. Saw some JaVale McGee last game as well. And uh, just give our thoughts on that. But you want to start with free agency? It would seem to be more important for our podcast, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm not sure where exactly we want to start the conversation, but I think you and I both have a similar concern of how their free agency has gone. We will recap it as so uh, thus far. They have brought back Chris Paul campaign, which we talked about last episode. They signed JaVale McGee to a little over half of what their mid-level exception is going to be for $5 million. That was where we stopped. Uh, since then, they have signed Abdul Nader as their fourth wing for the minimum on a two-year deal. We don't know about options yet on that second year. I don't think I've seen anything reported anywhere on that yet. Uh, that's perfectly fine, I think, as your fourth wing. I think you and I will agree on that, and we can talk about it in a bit if we want to. But that's it for now, Kev. Um, we have not seen any other signings. I think the two places people want to see and the two places me and you talked about to close last episode was a 4-5 or five combo, another big of some sort, uh, and then another ball handler. And we have not seen that yet. It has been reported by uh, Basketball News' Evan Sidery that the Suns are working through a deal with Alfred Payton right now. Gambo later reported that there has been an offer made to Payton for the veterans minimum. So we'll see if he accepts that. Um, but I think where the conversation kind of turns right now, Kevin, is that I guess I guess to kind of just like blow the blow the floodgates open on it. it. It does not feel like the Suns are necessarily getting after this with the level of urgency that you would expect from a team in a title window right now, uh, and and some of that might have to do with the amount of money they're willing to spend. That is the fear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, we prefaced this last podcast, but I want to reiterate again. It depends what campaign salary is. It depends what Chris Paul's salary is for this year to understand whether they're trying to stand or the tax or something. You know what I mean? Um, Because they have the biannual, because they have the rest of the mid-level, that using those things looks like, that would push you over obviously. But my whole thing is people are crediting them for, for example, making the Shamit trade 
ditching Javon's contract, ditching the rookie contract for the 29th pick, whoever that would be. And, and I get that down the line. But my whole thing is, why aren't you just going it for this year? Um, my, my whole thing is, you don't know what's guaranteed. Make this team as good as possible. I understand you got to pay DA and Mikel in some way down the road, but worry about the contract situation then. Trade Jay Crowder's contract away. Trade Dario's contract away if, you, if you're really that worried about that year. Um, and I think those things are doable um, at some point. But to me, it is weird and odd that like people keep saying, yeah, they're just trying to stay under the tax. And I understand you want to stay under the tax. You don't want to get repeater taxed, which is if you're over that tax apron, I believe multiple years, then you, you, you get really gutted money wise. But I just think you want to go for it now, man. And, and you worry about spending later and you get cheap later. If you have to be cheap, I understand that you're not the Los Angeles Lakers or the New York Knicks, but that's where I'm a little lost. And again, it, it matters what Chris Paul's salary is, but I think Gambo said his salary is 30 um, million or above. It's not the low end it's paying now. So we're, we're going to have to see that stuff before I can make ultimate judgments, but it, it's not putting it all in, in this year. And then it's also not having any long-term developing players other than Jalen Smith. Um, when you do need to worry about money on cheaper deals and, and looking beyond this, next few years of Chris Paul being still pretty good. So I just think there's a couple of little problems with it. And again, we got to see what else they do this off season. Yeah. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves for sure, but we just kind of have to in order to evaluate what we're seeing right now. Uh, and I want to preface with kind of the way I was phrasing that there, just to be clear, diving in head first, as opposed to like dipping our toes in. I, I agree with everything you said. And just on that point of, um, uh, we have to wait and see. But to one point you said, Kevin, you talk about like trading Jay Crowder's contract, the, the contract's counting for next year. That's just for the luxury tax bill, which ESPN Zach Lowe talks about this a lot. Sarver said it in his interview, like the reality of where they're trying to go and the reality of being a contending team is you are going to have to pay that luxury tax bill and you are probably going to have to do it multiple times. So you just got to pay it. I don't know what else to say. Like you, you just got to pay it. And and if this is, and again, part of what I wanted to preface there and, and what I'm getting to here is that it is impossible for us from our position to completely evaluate this process. And what I mean by that is, look, the Suns just might not have liked anyone on the mid-level this year. They just might not have liked anyone that was around for nine, 10 million a year. Did they want to pay Nerlens Noel nine or $10 million a year? Alec Burks, um, anyone else out there that really made sense for them is like a really impact player off the bench. They could have gotten for nine, 10 million a year. It's impossible to say. And, and I truly, I think that there was a, like a small, small list of guys that applied. So I, I will, I will again, preface with that, but I, I just struggle to, the more I look at the trade and even after spending a day with a sham trade, I really do wonder how much of that was getting off of this, the first round pick salary. And yeah. I say getting off, which is a really horrible way for that to be looked at, in my opinion, because remember, Kevin, if this pick lands, if their pick next year lands, I think top, 
13 or beyond, if they make the playoffs, that pick's going to Oklahoma City, and they don't have a first-round pick next year either. So this could be their last swing for the next two years in the first round uh, that they had to spend on a player. Again, it was a part of the draft that turned out to be very point guard heavy, which is the one part on this roster where you could argue that they need to develop some pieces. I mean, look at their future starting lineup, Kevin. Like it's, it's already there. It's Cam Johnson, Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, DeAndre, and then a fifth guy. You could have tried to draft someone at 29 to potentially take that guy. And the only thing that, and, and again, to, the, to that argument or, or that conversation, Kevin, got to see the full roster before we know, but we'll see where it's at. But if we get a 15th guy on this roster, 14th guy on this roster, and I look at it and say, man, like it, it probably, you probably would have wanted Jared Butler or Sharif Cooper in that spot instead of that guy. We'll have to wait and see how the roster pans out because for now, even looking at last year's roster, guys like Langston Galloway, Etwan Moore were super important to this team. So I wouldn't have gone that far for last year's team with the way that that roster shaped up and everything. But we'll see how this one, this year's look. Someone like Alfred Payton, for example, um, quality, like not quality, but he's an NBA player and you're getting a guy with a ton of quality experience running an offense. So if you have to throw it to throw him in the rotation at some points because of injuries, which is a position he would be in as a third string point guard, it's a quality ad. But I, I would I think you should still want to develop the future a bit if you could. That that's just my again, and that's my opinion. And James Jones has an opinion, which is no, I want the guy with experience instead. And that's where it differs again. But if it's about the money at all, if money factored into it at all, that's that's got to be a little bit frustrating i think kevin is is the way to think about it yeah i mean we're basically guessing on okay if you had a guy at number 29 in his third season could he be playing above like i don't know how much a 29th pick makes in the third year but would he be playing above that level um compared to go two million dollars basically yeah so you would hope that if you have a guy, you just know um, is going to be a a role player or something. So even saying that is like, okay, I get it. But to me, it's just at some point, if we're talking about sustainability post Chris Paul, you got book, Mikel DA, Cam Johnson, probably then how do you fill out a roster around them? Because it's going to be expensive at some point. Um, or it's going to be not very good if you only can use minimum contracts and you have to go, whether it's trading or signing. Um, but again, it, they could have like five buttons to push that they've planned out where the salary makes sense and the value of, okay, I could trade Jay Crowder for, you know, a seventh, eighth man, who's a younger player who we think can become a, five, six man, you know, that type of stuff that like Shannon's a good example of what they kind of like, where it's like, okay, I know enough about this guy where I'm not going to worry about whether he can be in the rotation. Right. So I just think it's a different philosophy, but I don't know. I'm still trying to find out whether they're being cheap or not, I guess. Cause like getting rid of a G league team seems cheap to me. Um, not developing talent, not having that outlet, but that, that also projected how they're acting right now. So it's all part of the plan. And I'm sure they have 
again, a couple outs where they're prepared to pull triggers on things when something's not working and they need fresh bodies and they need to move a salary and stuff like that. Yeah, I just want to speak for myself and you can butt in here, Kevin, and say if I'm misrepresenting what you're saying. But something I've learned a lot on Twitter the past couple of years is when you say something, people will interpret what you mean by saying that thing when you're not even saying that thing inside of what you're actually saying, if that makes sense at all. For example, this morning, I was just looking through, okay, how many NBA teams in the last 50 years have had at least three starters who were under the age of 25? Like who, who had three guys who was playing in the top five of their minutes under the age of 25? I was just curious. And then I went through and found all the numbers. So I thought, okay, I'll share this. It's interesting to me. It's curious. That was my motivation behind posting it. And then some people think I'm posting it as, as a way to be like, okay, this is why internal development is going to be so important to the team and all that kind of stuff. And just making a case for that. It's like, no, I just thought I was just bored and looked this up. And it was, I had the thought of, I had the thought in my head of looking this up and was bored, spent 20 minutes on basketball reference, looking it up. So to transition to what we're talking about right now, I'm not even trying to criticize the Suns right now. I'm just trying to bring it up as a conversation point to say, this is something that could be happening right now and it needs to be brought up right now. And if we are looking at this team in three weeks and they have not used their biannual exception, they just let it go and they still have their mid-level money, which Gamba was reporting that they could potentially be looking to use on the buyout market. Okay. Well now you better get someone on the buyout market with that money. Yeah. So th- I think that's all, that's all I'm saying. It, it, are you in the same lines? Like not quite yet declaring it and criticizing it, but presenting it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the sustainability issue is kind of separate from the spending now issue to win, because I think there is a balance where you can do both and it's different discussions about young players. Cause obviously winning now is you don't need young players. And I get that for just this year. And I think you can look at this year as a vacuum and that's why I think everyone's confused about how they're spending the mid level money, splitting it, um, whether they'll use the biannual because again, what are we at 13 players on the roster? I believe right now. And like, you do need a backup. Let's say you get Peyton as your backup guard. There's three deep there. That's solid. That's good. I think if you get them on the minimum, that's, that's excellent. Whatever. Um, if Jalen Smith's capable of playing and even if you sign like a Paul Millsap or something, if the market just dries up and you get him on 4.5 million or whatever is left to the mid level or whatever the biannual is, which is around that amount. Um, maybe that's what they're waiting for. Like the market is kind of drying up. And if you say, let's say those two things happen, whatever you think of Paul Millsap, but he's a playable player you hope he or Jalen Smith is good behind Jay Crowder at power forward. If you need to go with the bigger guy, like I, I think that's when we see what James Jones said, three by five, that's three by five. Like there are three pretty good players at every position there. So um, is that like you get the superstar signing, you add like LaMarcus Aldridge who wants to come back or something like that, where it's a guy who, like, you know, has like this unique game. No, but you do have a pretty darn deep roster. And I, I just think we'll wait and see. Um, I don't, I don't really know what names really excite me that much anyway. Like at the end of the day, does Paul Millsap move the needle? Yeah. Um, my one Paul Millsap memory of last season, Kevin, and this is, I don't, I do not, again, 
going back to what I just said, I feel like I always need to preface with these things. <laughs> preface is my word of the day on this podcast for sure. This does not mean this is not how I feel about Paul Millsap as a basketball player, but I will say watching it move around for one of the games Denver played in Phoenix during the regular season. I remember he had like a three play run and there will be times where me and Dwayne Rankin from the Arizona Republic will just like make a quip to each other kind of across media row or just kind of shake our heads at each other or whatever. (laughs) And there was like a three play run Millsap had. And I looked at Dwayne. I was like, man, sometimes it just goes away like that. Huh? And Dwayne's like, man, you, Father time. And there's just, there were just that particular night. He just looked like he had aged 35 years. And it was, um, it was, I did not like seeing that because Paul Millsap's been like one of my favorite players to watch in the past like 10, 15 years is really just a guy who came out of college without really a defined NBA role and, and completely turned himself into this really unique player. And it's been fun to watch. I would, I would, I would uh, sign me up for him on the Suns, by the way, with that in mind. I just wanted to share that fun little anecdote in my one Paul Millsap memory from the season. So like you said, Kevin, the the list is very short. We've seen a couple of names that I went through just about every Frasian that was available and tried to look for guys who made sense for the Suns. Um, By the way, 30 seconds, Kev, does Alfred Payton scream 0.5 James Jones, Monty Williams to you? We know his game. No, but me neither. Uh, uh, I appreciate where they're going. I'll say that <laughs> you can do much worse than a guy who has like hundreds of starts in the NBA and having him as a third string guy who can. Let me think of how to say this. I don't want to say effectively run an offense because that's wrong. I honestly like, did he play that poorly? Like his numbers were way down this year, but was that because he was playing well within the Knicks system and not trying to do too much? I don't know. Nick fans were laughing hysterically on Twitter the entire day, which is indicative of how they were playing. Brian Giberman sent me about 35 laughing out loud messages on, uh, (laughs) on text. Uh, He has apparently been at, he has apparently started been, 63 games out of 63. I'm looking at the stats right now. He's apparently been in, he was, apparently was a nightmare for them. Uh, you remember when he played three games for the Suns, I wrote out basically what his entire career amount, amounted to, which was like, hey, this guy can get to spots and pass, but that's it. I was, I was done talking, Kevin. <laughs> that, was, that was it. Like, really good like playmaker in a couple of senses, but I, you can do worse. You can do worse as your third guy. I guess we'll we I, can move on from, I just can't say, I can't say anything. Cause I complained about not having guys who can dribble and play make off the bounce. And so he, he qualifies. He I qualifies. I, I too will shut my mouth. I would rather have each one more with that being said though, if I had okay. to pick between the two and I saw a lot of people saying that and I would not disagree, but that list was short, Kevin. So if you're out there still expecting, um, Again, I thought I was really surprised to see Suns fans reaction the past couple of days because I think that they were expecting a couple of like ring chaser, quote unquote, if you want to call it uh, veterans that who go to a team and take a lesser role to try and win a championship, take less money, that kind of thing. That only happens to super teams and Lakers, Kevin. I don't know what to tell people. You're just you got to be one of those two and, and you're probably not. So tough luck. Take your JaVale McGee signing, you know? That's a good good player. Plays for winners. Yeah. You know? Uh, Summer League, Kev. We're yeah. two days away. Uh, 
a lot of people are very disinterested in summer league from what I can tell. Uh, but then I saw a lot of people kind of perk up when I wrote that Jalen Smith thing and they're like, Oh yeah, like this Jalen Smith guy could be really important to their season. And we won't discuss it too much. Cause I think like the story covers it and we can just point people in that direction. Um, but I, I kind of just wrote about it and it turned out to in a, in like a nuts in a coincidence, Monty said back in mid April, cause I saw, I saw Jalen Smith doing dribbling drills um, before a game in mid April. And I was just like, what, what's up, Monty? What, what, how's he been doing since he got back from the bubble? And he would, he just talked through the whole quotas in the story, but he said they kind of envision him and are teaching him. They're teaching him a new position and how they envision that position is an, a more athletic Dario. And now Dario turns out to get hurt. So man, if, if you, if that's really, and, and I'm not going to phrase it that way, they've been training him to teaching him this position. Boy, would it be handy if he was ready this next season we're going to have a good indication of where he not a good indication. We're going to have our first indication of where he kind of stands uh, in, in summer league. And he is going to be the star man on that team. Tyshawn Alexander is the only other player of note on that team. They signed, they didn't sign, but uh, you can assume based on reports that they agreed to a lot of their roster from the summer league. They agreed with them on terms before the draft even started and they had zero undrafted players on their summer league roster, Kevin. It is entirely made up of guys who either played professionally. I believe every single player outside of Tyshawn Alexander and Jalen Smith played professionally overseas somewhere, except for one guy, and I'm failing to remember his name off the top of my head right now, but he played in the G League for the entire year, got up with uh, the Rockets for a couple of games. So he actually has professional experience. So the entire team has professional experience um, and not one of them is from this year's draft class, which uh, I don't know how you would look that up for summer league rosters, but that's got to be a first. It's really interesting and the least surprising thing I've ever seen. I think Kevin, because that just that, that sounds like the the Suns are right with, with the way they've been kind of choosing to build their roster the past couple of years, and in a good way for sure. Yeah, I feel like maybe the Warriors have had teams in the past where maybe they had one rookie or something, and then it's just a bunch of veteran pros from overseas but yeah i mean it's to me it's not that different from usual because usually you have to fill it out you might have two or three even in the um you know ryan mcdonough days they'd have their dudes maybe they had like four or five i don't know but what i'm saying is you have to go through these moments to fill out rosters in the summer league and i i think with jalen I think we're going to find out quick where he's at because the games in the NBA didn't look good. The um, how he played in the G league with a team that's not, has no reason to really care about how he develops didn't look good. Um, COVID taking away a lot of off season opportunities wasn't good. Um, and just covering the Cardinals through all that, I'll give him a flyer and just say like, all right, we see we see you've had a full year. You've had a full year plus the playoffs of learning. So I, I think you need to see him. Biggest thing is just be in the right spots, right? I, I don't care if he shoots poorly even. No. I, I need to see him playing defense, being in the right spots, not fouling, getting in foul trouble, because if that stuff keeps popping up, 
in second year of summer league for a lottery pick and he just looks overwhelmed and not experienced, then you start getting red flags of, all right, like you couldn't have wasted that pick. And then when you sell off this year's pick and all that stuff, and it all adds up, you get rid of your G league team. It adds up even more. Um, that to me, that's not just about him, but it's more, this team is not doing sustainable things and picking right. And knowing how to pick, because again, I'm giving him the benefit, but the Suns picked Ty Jerome. And I know Ty Jerome kind of had a decent year last year with the Thunder or whatever, but um, I'm still not sold on this front office's job doing enough draft research and knowing how to do that. So (laughs) I I love how that's you every podcast around this. Like for four, for six straight off seasons, you've just no, no, in a funny, astute way where you're actually making a valid point of just being like, you're the guy, like everything's just going on. And you're just the one guy who looks around and says, hold on a sec. Wait a minute. Are we sure? (laughs) Hit on Cam Johnson. (laughs) After that, it's, I don't know. Yeah. No, I got you. Like, yeah, no, it's, I I think just because of how they're going to rely on him in that power forward spot as of now is not obvious what's going to happen there. He's got to be something. Um, So I'm excited. And I, I hope he took the last year and really did grow because he, like I said, he went through a lot and I'm not going to take that off and like not make that excuse because that is a lot. That's legit. You can say all you want about it, but when you don't play even in the NBA or in the G league training camp, that's a lot of missed opportunities. Mr. Zerman, let me tell you something. In the way that you are an expert about Love Island, Star Wars, what would be your sports calling? Like fringe wide receivers in yeah. the NFL? Yeah. Mine are insert my Love Island, and I guess it would be the challenge, <laughs> like like video game, some video game thing, and, and summer league basketball, Kev. Yeah, that's your deal. I know this stuff, okay? In there is value... Talent. There is value in summer league basketball, but you have to look at it in certain ways. And there are a couple of things for Jalen Smith. And he's like, by the way, devastated. I'm not going, I have been there. That is where I started blogging. Basically. Like I, I wrote on my own in college, but then the first thing I ever covered, cause I didn't have internships anywhere or whatever. I took my laptop into the stands in 2014, watched Jabari Parker and Giannis take on Anthony Bennett and Andrew Wiggins in a, in a packed, packed Cox pavilion. <laughs> aside Thomas and Macarena, that's where one of my favorite, I still think on my Mount Rushmore of covering things. Um, my, one of those spots will be, um, you know how they have games all day, right? From like, I don't know if I've told this story on here before, so I'm going to tell it, but if I have, it was a long time ago. So I want to tell it. Um, yeah. So they start games in the summer. Like I'll just explain. They start summer league games around like noon, one o'clock, two o'clock. They have four games in each gym, there are two gyms basically kind of next to each other. You can kind of walk to, it takes like two, three minutes to walk to them. Uh, there's the Thomas and Mack center, which is a huge arena Cox pavilion, which is like more like a high school gym. Uh, Cox pavilion was where Giannis and that game, which, which was what made it so hype. It was like the two teams with the most talent, uh, all these huge like lottery picks. I was like, Giannis was like the fourth name there too, by the way, to be clear, like Giannis was still kind of on the up and up Jabari, Andrew Wiggins, like 
Anthony Bennett, number one picks, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what basically happens is like the fans are there for like that specific game, right. Or another game. And sometimes it's a three thirty, sometimes it's at seven, whatever that day, the day that I'm talking about, there was a big game at like three o'clock. I can't remember what it was or whatever. So basically fans by like six or 7 PM were out for the day. Cause you just buy a ticket to get in for the entire day and that's it. So I go into Thomas and Mack center where it is, the Pelicans and some other team, which I'm pretty sure is like the, the, the D league select. Cause at that time, I don't even think it was the G league yet. And on, I'm just getting writing done. I'm not even watching this game anymore. Cause the other game had ended. So I'm just writing in the stands as opposed to like going back to my hotel or whatever. And lo and behold, Kevin, there's Josh Howard, former NBA champion of the Dallas Mavericks. He's not even playing Kevin. He's just on the bench. He, I don't know why he was playing in summer league, but he wasn't even really there to like try and, I, I guess he was there to try and earn a spot, but on this team, he was on the bench. Um, he wasn't even playing. He had barely played in the game. I kind of looked it up and the Hornets were down like Hornets. The Pelicans were down like nine points in the fourth quarter or whatever. And they mounted a comeback and won. And the entire time he was kind of losing his mind on the bench and got their whole bench to be hyped basically on his own. And it was just a really cool sports thing where it was like, this dude was the second or third best player on an NBA finals team, like five, six years before this. And here he is in a gym that has less than 250 people in it at this point and still like losing his mind to like want to come back. Um, it's really cool, really cool moment on my top four for sure ever. I just wanted to share that moment since it was on my head and how beautiful summer league basketball can be sometimes, Kevin. But to the point uh, that I really veered off there from to tell that story, a <laughs> couple of things you really need to know about summer league. One, if you are a lottery pick in your first year, you better look like it on the court because especially with the Suns roster full of guys who play overseas, God bless them. They are very skilled and good at what they do. They are overseas for a reason. And most of the time it is because their arms aren't long enough. Their legs don't move a certain way or they're not strong enough. And Jalen is longer, faster, and stronger than just about everyone that he's going to come up against in that in that group of players, right? Fringe NBA players or more so guys who are outside of the NBA trying to get in. He should dominate physically. Like that it should he should just look faster, stronger in that regard. It should really stand out that he's that guy, right? And then second of all, it's to your point, Kevin, where he has been in these high-level practices the entire season. I don't know how much he's actually been participating in them, but he's been around them. And when we talked to him, Brian Randall, the coach of the team, and Tyshawn Alexander today, when I asked him, like, what's the one thing you've learned the most over the year, he just said, like, mentally, like, reading the game, understanding the game, knowing places to be, to your point. And then he said, um, like, just, like, where he's really grown the most is just seeing how hard it is to win in the NBA and having an understanding of what it takes to be a winner – and so to your point, again, if you've like played minutes on a, if you are expected to play, potentially play minutes for an NBA team in a rotation going into that season, you need to look like you're not out of place. Like in terms of being in the right spot, not having those summer league moments where you're randomly doing something stupid because you're young and we can shake it off. Like you can't be doing that stuff. And for him that you need to see that you need to see those two things specifically. Now, the third thing that I'll say, Kevin, is there's always a first and a second team, like all all summer league or whatever, but really it's the first and second team. You're too good to be here. I saw some people already tweeting about Desmond Bain playing in Salt Lake being like, he's too good to be here. Like, what's he doing out here? Like, he should not be playing here. You always see those guys 
where they are just clearly there is such a bigger level of play in the league when you're playing serious rotation minutes on a good team or a great team or a bad team, whatever you're playing serious rotation minutes in the league to that quality of basketball going down to summer league, you just look completely stand out. And that's where you'd like to see Jalen Smith. It's like, it needs to, the best case scenario is we're a quarter and a half in Kevin and we're like, he's too good to be here. They shouldn't even play him the rest of the time. Yeah. That's, that's what you want, which is something that happens quite a bit. Again, like you know, Love Island and the Love Triangles on there, Kev. Yeah, I know. I know my. I know my fringe NBA guys and where to spot them and where not to. Uh, in in that environment. And one thing you want is this is like one of the places where you can just look at a specific basketball player and just not pay attention to the team, right? It's all right. I'm just going to follow you with my eyes. Um, do you look like you're confused? Do you look like you're out of place? You know, when, when other guys break down, it's not that big of a deal, but it, it's the little stuff like that, that I'm going to be watching. So it's, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do because, you know, you, you wrote the story about, you just saw flashes where he'd take one dribble, you know, use that athleticism or hit a shot or um, he has the athleticism, athleticism to be a decent shot blocker, even though he's, you know, not super center sized. So I, I just want to see weak side defense, that kind of thing for him too. And, um, you know, even if he's a mess, if he's a positive mess and has that like juice where he's going to play 10 minutes and give you something different with energy, that that's something else. And that's uh, another thing that you can at least say, okay, we can use that on the NBA team when like your example that you always use when you're in Cleveland on a back-to-back and you just need a little something. Right, exactly. Uh, to tie in for agency before we move on to Team USA, two open roster spots and one two-way. Uh, I look forward to the one or two of these 13 pros, Kevin, that you and I fall in love with. Former Wildcat Justin Simon, big like minus 650 favorite. Great <laughs> defender, yeah, really long. Kind of does some dribble stuff. I don't know where his dribble stuff has progressed in the last couple of years. I'm guessing he's become more of a 3 and D guy because it wasn't really all there, but was one of those like top 50 Sean Miller recruits. Remember those? Yeah, I do. How much those do were... those cost? That's the question. Oh, sorry. Not on our budget anymore, buddy. Not on <laughs> our budget anymore. We got to develop internationally and, uh, you know, two ballots and the boys, they're making it happen. <laughs> they're making it happen. Speaking of making it happen, the Americans, United States, men's, Basketball team wins Olympic gold tonight. Uh, they beat France. We have not talked since the quarterfinals before the quarterfinals, Kevin. Uh, and something that, or what we hit on with book and what I talked about specifically was just thought there was a way that he was playing where he was just, things are going to happen for you. If you play like that and play that hard and, and buy into a role that he clearly did. And it really came together for him. I believe the quarterfinals game was the one where he had, Nine points, nine rebounds, like five assists and three steals or something where he didn't really shoot the ball that well, but he was just phenomenal in that game. And then the semifinals against, uh, who did they play in the semis? They, uh, they played Iran. Spain. Oh, no. Spain, Spain, in, the, yeah. Spain in the quarters. Uh, Australia in the yeah. semis. Oh, David, Kevin, just irate that we forgot. Sorry, buddy. Our bad. Um, our Australian correspondent just still getting over Patty Mills, FIBA Patty not showing up when they need him the most. You just hate to see it. He's going to be fine in Brooklyn. I think they're going to, it's going to turn out okay for him. 
he goes seven of 10 scores, 20 points again, defensively, just everywhere uh, in the final deals with foul trouble starts off. zero for three from three Middleton and Tatum kind of got going. So we got lost in the rotation a bit on those two accords, but the most fun I had watching the team and watching him all tournament was this game because Drew Holiday is off the ball following Evan Fournier around being a pest. That means book is covering the point guard and covering ball. Kevin, we get to see his best Javon Carter impersonation. We saw Mikel Bridges in the quarterfinals. This one was, I'm going to be 94 feet on you. And he drew two offensive fouls. He was just sticking on guys. It was, it was really fun uh, to watch him like that. That's just what I keep coming back to. Like how fun it was to watch him a 25 point per game score, just completely buy into being a defensive pest, basically. Like he was, he was their defensive pest for this tournament. Drew was their superstar defender, but book was like the pest. It was, it was really cool. I think I got annoyed and I don't think this is like being a homer at all. I think it's because we watch book every day. And when you look across like Twitter, like the national guys who are not NBA writers who are over covering Tokyo Olympics are like, man, like Devin and Damian need to pick it up like at halftime when KD was carrying them. And to me, that's apples and oranges. Dame was struggling um, to a greater degree for the whole tournament. But also like when you look at this game, book, played a minute more than Jason Tatum, despite foul trouble, despite going over from four from the field, had an assist to steal two points, did not turn it over four fouls, but like pop trusted him because he was being that defensive pest. Right. And Tatum had a good game, eight of 14 hit three threes, seven boards, 19 points in 21 minutes. Well, pop still had book playing down the stretch. So you can, complain about Tatum not being on the floor, but that guy knows a thing or two about basketball, Kev pop. Yeah. Like pop absolutely gained his trust. And I think that was the quarterfinals game where he was just like, yep. Maybe even the game before that, where it's just like, this dude's just doing all the little stuff. He played, uh, he played 15 straight, 15 straight minutes to start the second half against Australia. He didn't even come out until the game was over basically. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and it was the offense when he he had a lot of bad games. What he only had maybe one or two good games, uh, where you could say he was great offensively. But he was moving the ball. He wasn't forcing stuff. No turnovers. Again, probably should have had three or four or five assists tonight, um, in the gold medal game where he just found an open shooter and off a drive or something simple. Um, and, and Tatum and Lillard were just struggling and. Looks like Shams tweeted that Lillard's dealing with an abdominal injury um, and had been all tournament, so that sucks. But, yeah, I just think people kind of overlooked bad shooting nights and, and just said he had a bad game. But there was a reason he was starting. There was a reason he was closing. There was a reason he still played more minutes than Jason Tatum tonight, even though he was in foul trouble and that kind of thing. I'm trying to find the page right now. He shot 42%, by the way. I thought that number would have been lower. So, like, yeah. he wasn't – and that's the thing. He was in a low-volume role. Anyone calling out his performance at halftime, have you been watching this team? Like, he has to sit in the corner, basically. Drew's the one pretty much running the offense. Even more so in this game, they ran a clear, like, 
we think Nando De Colo weighs like 14 pounds and Drew's just going to be able to body him everywhere. So we're going to put, um, we're going to, we're going to fix that. We're going to attack that and try and take advantage of it essentially, which is what they tried to look to do. Right. So I, I think that it was, I thought that he was still one of their three best players. He he didn't have a good final, but I thought that he was one of their three best players. I thought Duran and Hall Duran was obviously their MVP. It was, I don't know. I would have to stack up like the competitions, Kevin, but like thinking, do you remember that 2010 FIBA tournament where he like maybe had the best international performance ever by anyone in a tournament? Yeah. He was, he was, he's averaged like 25 a game or something. And in like the, I think it was uh Schumann from NBA.com tweeted out, like he had 28 plus in the last three games, like quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. And then he wins three Olympic medals. He scores 30 in the final in 2012, 30 in 2016, the final in 29 tonight in the 2012 Olympics, his first Olympics, he set the record for the most points in an Olympic tournament. Um, he's, he's nuts. He was, he was clearly the the number one guy in the whole tournament and, and on their team. Drew was number two, but I think book was right there as number three. I think in, in the same way where Kevin, we would watch really bad sons basketball and be able to spot things defensively that maybe people wouldn't see on good teams. Cause we're used to seeing the bad stuff all the time, watching the Suns move the ball and how people are supposed to play point five, watching that all season. And then watching Jason Tatum make decisions with the ball <laughs> just made my head want to explode. Yeah. Like, I did not know. I watched Jason Tatum in the league and watch him on the Celtics. And I love his game. And then in this, in this format where he kind of had to be more of a role player, he just couldn't, again, to what we talked about last episode, he just couldn't quite get there. Dame, it completely makes sense that, that he was hurt then because he was playing like he was shook in some ways. And, and that's usually where you can lead to injury, of course, and assume that he's hurt but you don't want to make that assumption without knowing anything. But now that we know that he was hurt and, and the way that he was just messing up like really basic things and looking off in a lot of different ways, I thought it was just because he wasn't adapting, which was part of it. But at the same time he was doing it while he was hurt, which explains his inability to adapt. But I think that book like just played that style. And, and that is what they needed from that. To be clear, that team was set up to be a 0.5 team. Basically that's what they wanted it to be with the way they constructed it. And I thought that Book, Holiday, and Durant were the three guys who did that kind of stuff the most. I thought Middleton and Tatum finally found a groove in this game. Wasn't Bam awesome in this game, too? Yeah. I thought Bam was really, really great in this game. I thought Draymond was great for most of the tournament. He didn't really have any moments in this game. Kevin, I would, being an assistant coach like in the league or in any situation, and looking at Draymond Green and being like, yeah, we can just leave him, and then watching your team leave him and then watching him just pitch it back to Kevin Durant for a three or just stand there for two seconds and find a wide open person around the basket. I would be like, wait, no, we're, it's four on five. He's not allowed to. What? what why? Dude, what? Pass it. He's not just leave him open. Why are, and that's especially in this kind of format where you're like bringing a team together and it's not a rock solid defense where, it's an NBA team in that kind of situation. Everyone knows when Draymond gets the ball, look out for the pass, but everyone on France wasn't quite there. He did like four times in this game. It ruled. Um, I love watching Draymond play. I, I know Suns fans I mean, hate him. But. They were they were just running pick and roll, and, and Draymond and Bam were taking roles and just turning the defense on its head. Like they led, they had nine assists for the co or five and four for those two guys assist wise. And I, I think, look, 
I'll say this for the U.S. team. They look like trash. They lost to Nigeria. They lost to Australian exhibitions, France, when they started off the Olympic trip. But, like, you look at the COVID stuff that hit, the, like, Brad Beal, um, Book, Middleton, Drew not being there, the travel thing, um, how little time. Like, if you look at it now, this past game, it's like, I can pick out key, like, what this dude's role is finally pretty much down the line. Um, Mate Lillard, I don't know, because they didn't even want him to have the ball in his hands because Book and Holiday were handling it so much at the end of games. But, like, they, considering the time constraints, rushed and found roles for most of their dudes. And I think that's what made it cool to watch is how quickly, like, we. it seems like it was a long time, but when you roll through... Spain, Australia, France to win a gold medal. I don't think you can have any reason to say that was easy or they got lucky or that type of thing, because like you have KD taking his role and then it just fell into place. And I thought as much as I criticized pop and all that, they did a pretty good job and got the thing done when um, that tournament situation hit. You uh, you remember the All Star game where everyone started trying on defense and no one could score? Yeah, that's what the fourth quarter reminded me of. Not to that extent, of course. Like they were obviously trying throughout this entire tournament, but there was like a minimum threshold for them to hit in this tournament to win, right? And they were already there. But I saw them, and this is—I I, never—I was going to tweet this at some point, but kind of got lost on me, and I never shared it. But the worst part about watching Team USA, both men and women, um in this like format in the Olympics in FIBA is that specifically for the USA teams who just kind of are a ragtag pickup group that comes together for a month. Um, as soon as they start to really gel and turn into like a team, the tournament's over. And yeah. I think in the fourth quarter when they were defending, it was like, Oh, they, they figured it out now. Like they, they have, they are actually clicking really well as a defensive unit. And it's one of those things where give them another week and they would have figured it out offensively. Like they just would have. You can look at roster construction, talk about that again. I just completely disagree on that front. They would have figured it out and they, and they would have had give them another week and they figure out the offense, like I said. And they, they had reached the point in the fourth quarter where they were beyond just the threshold of winning and they were actually turning into a really, really great defensive team with the way that they were moving, communicating, knowing when to switch. They were throwing in different things like they stopped switching in the first half, second half. Uh, they started trapping a bit, that kind of stuff. And that like speaks to like pop and Jay Wright, Lloyd Pierce, and Steve Kerr kind of realizing where the team was at and being like, okay, like we can start to tweak some stuff now too because they're starting to figure it out as a team. Um, and again, just watching Book be a part of that and be like a strength in that, like his play defensively and him accepting that role played a part in them being able to function like that late in that game uh, was really rad. And uh, yeah, it was it was really, I in the fourth quarter after a couple of, France possessions that went really wrong. I was just like, oh, I'm going to miss watching this team, which you wouldn't have thought when they looked like horrible and, and really displeasing to watch offensively. But the way they were defending in the second half was really fun to watch. It was rad. Rad indeed, bud. <laughs> um, so Devin Booker gets a gold, gold medal. JaVale McGee, new Phoenix Sun, does as well. Apparently, they have to wait until the bronze game is over, which makes sense because you have to have the medal ceremony. But why was the bronze game not before this? Like, that just makes no sense how you don't end the event with end the actual event with the ceremony. Like, it's it, so they have 
they got to go back, take like a power nap. Cause I think that game's at like 5 AM our time, which is about I think like eight hours, seven hours after they wrapped. So uh, book can go take a nap, play a couple rounds of Warzone or apex, whatever he's doing. Uh, go get his gold medal and then get home and get in your own bed and get some sleep, bud. Cause Holy smokes does a, uh, does he deserve some time off and, and some rest? No rest for us yet, Kevin, though. Not yet. Never. Got some summer league. Got some summer league hoop You're to excited. talk about. Um, I'm genuinely excited to watch Jalen Smith, and I was glad to see a, cu- a couple of people respond to like my piece and like tweets about him and being like, oh, yeah, Jalen's playing. It's like, yeah, a guy who could like potentially swing their season. Like If he's an instant impact guy, Kevin, and like, can legitimately – we kind of talked around it, but if he's a part of their rotation next year and that that's a, that means that's a really good thing because Monty's not going to play him unless he's ready. So it, it could, it could make a huge difference. And then of course, like you talk about long-term. So those are the kind of things to keep in mind. If you're on the fence about watching the summer league, which starts on a Sunday night, seven thirty PM local time, they play the Lakers on ESPN two. And I believe all of their games are televised either on NBA TV or one of the ESPN channels. Um, all of them that they play four, and then there's a fifth one. So they used to have a bracket every single year um, and they abandoned the bracket, which makes sense because uh, the bracket was kind of like a, a strenuous activity. In my opinion, um, the two teams with the best record and best point differential play in the championship. And then, random 28 other teams match up with each other. So they'll play five games. Jalen Smith will probably play at least two or three. Same with Tyshawn, maybe even more. I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen played all five, given how he had to wait all year. Um, and we'll it's see how it goes. Run, yeah. Yeah. We'll check in. We'll check in next week at some point. I believe they play Sunday and Monday. Uh, so we'll probably come back after that Monday game or on, on Tuesday at some point. Uh, or if the Suns make another signing worth uh, coming around for i would not qualify alfred payton as such kevin now we'll see if any other names appear it's not going to be andre guadala he went to the warriors um surprise surprise were you surprised no <laughs> me, neither. me neither that kind of seemed like uh, the writing was on the wall there for quite a while and i'm sure he's going to look he's going to do the same thing he does right like look 47 years old for 60 games and then right around April, he's going to start looking kind of like himself. And, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and then in May, it's going to be a two-on-one break, and he he tomahawks on someone. He tomahawks on Rudy Gay in transition, and you're like, "Oh, hey, it's you again. How you doing?" <laughs> That's what he always does. That that goof. We love him, Kev. Don't we? Our former Wildcat. Yes, sir. All right, we'll be back next week, everyone. See you later.